Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. This is episode 48. Pleased to be joined by Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky Athletic Director and the Chair of the Men's Basketball Selection Committee, and Nina King, the Senior Deputy Athletic Director at Duke and the Women's Basketball Committee Chair for 2021. Uh, to both of you, let's just first sort of take the 30,000 foot view. Uh, we are days away from both of you, respectively, in your own corners, if you will, convening with your members on your committees. Um, so we're getting closer and closer. First, just overall, just the feeling, Nina, I'll start with you, that we're this close. I mean, to me, I feel like once we get past March 12th, I'll feel like, oh my God, this is really happening. Uh, that it's crazy that it's a year after uh, everything had to be canceled. What, what's the, what are the emotions like for you as we're just getting so close to crossing the threshold and actually having a bracket and a tournament? Well, it's great to be with you both. Um, thanks for, for the invitation. Um, it's really exciting. I mean, I think first and foremost, that's the emotion, excitement, um, a little bit of stress trying to figure out how, how to pack and, and get myself uh, to San Antonio for just about a month. Um, but we're gonna, gonna get to San Antonio next week and talk basketball. Um, there's been so many details to go through in terms of pulling off this historic tournament and just all of the logistics and operational elements um, that are really important pieces to talk about. But next week we're gonna go and we're gonna talk basketball for five days. So that's gonna be really, really exciting. Um, and being able to, to, to get to this point, um, you know, we've We've been on somewhat of, an, of a roller coaster throughout the season and just are we going to be able to play? Are we going to be able to have postseason? Um, and it looks like we're going to be able to have a, a great postseason. So we're excited. Mitch? Uh, I think a couple of things. Nina hit a lot of the, the really important part. This has been a really heck of a journey for the last four months, just trying to get on the highway, so to speak, to get to the starting line. And um, I think hats off to a couple of groups, uh, unbelievable effort on a couple of fronts. Number one, student athletes have done an incredible job maintaining protocols and testing and all of those things necessary to get to the start line. And so coaches and staffs have worked diligently hard just to be able to play games. We've played a high level number of games and that's been exciting to watch college basketball uh, find their way through this rhythm, this cadence, whatever you want to call it to get to the start line. Number two, um, the, the staff at the NCAA has done a remarkable job. Nina talked about all the details and operational pieces. I'm not sure I've ever seen uh, in my time and 40 years of college athletics um, a four-month ramp up to an event for two 68-team tournaments in one site, bringing all these people collectively to a, a spot and say, we're going to play over about a three-week period of time. And, and uh, the logistics of that have been unbelievable. So Incredible, incredible hats off to the staff and that have worked so hard. And then the third group, I would say, is just the committee has been uh, on both fronts. I'm sure I, I would not want to speak for the women's committee, but I, I, I dare say they've worked incredibly hard, just like the men's committee, just to try and find a pathway forward. And, and all the changes and the nuances to determine the protocols that were in place that have had to adjust a little bit going forward. And and uh, so thankful for uh, their efforts as well. So um, anxious to get to the starting line and. Uh, we know the hard work is ahead and the next three, four weeks is, is where uh, the rubber meets the road. So to both of you, I'll start with you again, Nina. Um, uh, there's so much behind the scenes that has not been publicly discussed. I mean, down to, you know, how are we getting laundry done? Um, all these sort of little tiny details that one wouldn't normally think of uh, when you're just building an event or a lot of times, most of us obviously are able to go back and forth with our homes. 
uh, during the course of even the NCAA tournament. What was one point during this lead up, this ramp up, as Mitch was saying, where you kind of rolled your eyes like, boy, how are we going to accomplish X? And we did. Um, was there any, you know, uh, anecdotes that you can remember of, of putting this together where you kind of wondered, could we get over that hurdle? Laundry, you got it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think just the sheer magnitude of 64 teams in one place all at the same time. Um, and I have a little bit of familiarity with San Antonio and thank goodness for a terrific local organizing committee, but just where are we going to put all of these people and how are we going to transport them and how are we going to make pull off all of this make it work you know especially first and second rounds when you have the bulk of the the games happening um and, and all of these people in one place at one time so i think that was a real aha moment when when um the incredible staff presented to us just lodging um where everybody was going to be staying where the games were happening where the practices were going to be happening um and the footprint how we're going to accomplish all of this in one geographic location it's it's amazing um and it's going to be exciting to see it executed Mitch? Uh, I think the, 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 the laundry was certainly a piece. We've had multiple questions about housekeeping in rooms. That was an interesting one. So uh, um, I'm sure that, that if, if you've ever been with, traveled with a team before and you've spent a weekend with them, let alone three weeks with them, to think about housekeeping, clearly on a lot of coaches' minds right now. So uh, if any of us have had kids, we all know what their rooms look like after just a short period of time, let alone a lengthy period of time. That was one. Not, not most, the, the thing that I think was, was most on my mind was the testing and getting to the start line. And uh, that one really weighed heavy on my mind. And, and uh, the staff has addressed it. The, the medical task force have really worked hard to try and get to a spot where the safety, the health of everyone involved, not just coaches, student athletes, but the staff, the, the officials, the, everybody that's going to be in play. That was the one that I, I think that if I had to say gives me the greatest angst and, and the greatest concern, getting to start line and then continuing on, that's, that's the part that I think is the most difficult. One other um, aspect that, that jumped out to me also was the food. Um, you know, how you're gonna handle uh, different dietary needs. Um, you know, I know not you specifically, both of you, but I'm just curious, you know, how also that was managed or will be managed because, uh, you know, let alone on one team, you could have vegans, you could have, you know, non uh, meat eaters for religious reasons, you name it. Um, how is the food and how the food is getting to each individual person? How did that weigh on each one of you? Well, I mean, that's something that I think hotels are, are um, well equipped to handle the, the variety of, of uh, dietary needs. And um, with us kind of running out the whole hotel and, and having occupying the whole hotel, we've been working very closely with their entire staff um, in, in figuring out just kind of how we're, how we're going to be dining. We're not all sitting at a table eating dinner together, um, you know, socially distanced at, at meals um, and, and really restricted in who's in the room. And, um, and so working with them again on on the diets yes it's an, an interesting part of it but not unlike a, a an away game a trap when you travel um typically during the season you still have the variety of diets um and nutrition to to have as a priority for your team i think that's so true i think it, it doesn't is not dissimilar to a normal road trip for teams and teams are used to these kind of issues and the hotels have dealt really really well with those things i think that that'll be important 
And I think once you get to the controlled environment, there's going to be a rhythm and a cadence to this whole thing. I think that there will be a, you know, a, a pretty organized way you do that. And, and so um, I think the, the director of operations and, and the trainers and the medical people on each team are so really, really dialed into that. Um, I think that will be, be just fine there. And that, that's not to say it won't be difficult, you know, and you've got teams and I know our teams and I'm sure others have, have had this experience as well. You've got two young people sitting on opposite ends of an eight foot table, never shall they cross, you know, and, and uh, socially distant with their mask on when they're not eating and they get up and they leave and that helps keep that socially distant piece. And if, if they're going to eat meals in the same room, that's, that's sort of the format. And uh, so, but uh, we hope that uh, the protocols that they bring um, to those, those moments will be uh, as equally strong as they were before they got there. All right, so this is something we discussed in two separate shows with both of you about the known inequities in building a bracket uh, with records. We knew this was going to be the case, and it's exactly what happened. Some may play the full 25, 27. Uh, others may have just barely scratched the surface above the minimum, depending upon you know who ends up getting AQs and so on. So, Mitch, I'll start with you in terms of as you look at the landscape, as you start to think about uh, – at largest seeds when you get to to put this bracket together next week um how do you think the leagues have handled it and the teams of accepting that there are going to be inequities in how these schedules and records were built well, i don't think there's any question that they understand that there's going to be differences and um you know i think the committee for from our perspective will always go back to the foundational piece of who did you play? Where did you play them? And what was the result? That's where we'll start. That's the foundational piece of what we do. And then you'll begin to build off of that into the metrics and, and the head-to-heads and the common opponents and all of those pieces that are so critical to the team sheets and to the conversations. And then you're going to have to say, okay, someone was impacted um, by seven games or of COVID and they could not participate. And and that, that is what it is. They can't be penalized for that. I think everyone needs to acknowledge that people tried and they gave effort and they tried to get to the start line as best they could. And then we'll have just to have the best we can to try and compare resumes and say, okay, um, this, this, at the end of the day, um, the old Doc Rivers quote from last June that says, uh, this may not be totally fair, but whoever wins this tournament is going to have won the most difficult championship in the history of championships. And he, and we just have to acknowledge that, that, that at some point in time that there may not be great complete equity like everybody wants it to be. It's the same on the women's side. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, important that um, we don't penalize teams for not being able to get to a, a higher threshold than normal. I mean, we set the 13 game minimum in division one games that each team has to play to be considered um, for selection. And then past that, we just need to look at everything we have available to us. We can't control what we don't have. Um, and so I think also that's why a lot, um, the, the observable component as we've been calling it has come into play this year. You know, we need to make sure that we're watching teams, um, especially teams that we don't have more data on um, than, than in a normal year. So this year has a, has a big asterisk by it. We're doing things a little bit different, but it, it's unprecedented for all of us. Yeah, and I would say asterisk in the way you're building it, but not in the, quality of play. Sure. Um, you know, I want to get uh, Mitch to coming out of the pause and, and then Nina, I want to get your opinion on this as well, because we saw teams come out of it completely different 
Some raced out of it, played well like they did before. Others, it took three or four games, sometimes just a half. How do you think the committees, respectively, will judge teams on those games that they played after a lengthy pause, uh, if they lost them, if they didn't play well, or if they actually won them, which you could argue is even better uh, if you were not playing for two or three weeks, and then you come out and you have a big win right off the bat. Mitch? I think it's a pretty subjective look I mean, it, it, from the committee's perspective. And I, I, I know we've talked a little bit about it. And I'm sure we'll get a lot more conversation in the room as we, as we dial in. Um, we've looked a lot more result-driven here early on. And, I, and as we get into the specifics of how that – that's a pretty subjective thought. I, and I, whether it is um, – I think teams react differently to all of those kind of things. I've watched our teams on our campus react to those, those kind of issues. And some of them handle it incredibly well. And some of them have not handled them well at all. And so I, I think that it is got a little bit subjective and it's going to go back and lead you back to finding the results. And, and you're going to have to find a way to, to marry those things up and find balance in those conversations. I don't think you can tip all the way and say it's a complete pass because you're coming out of a pause. At the same time, you don't, you don't sit here and say, hey, we're, we're going to give them complete credit either for, for what they did incredibly well. They, hey, boy, they handled that pause incredibly. That gives them an, a gold star. I don't know that you can do that. I think you've got to find balance in the conversation and, 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 and see where that lands. And I think that's, that's going to be the heart of a lot of really, really difficult committee conversation next week. We'll probably have a lot more in-depth conversation on teams because of that. I mean, not that we didn't have in-depth conversation before, but we've just, we have another, um, another factor this year to, to talk about. Um, and, and as Mitch said, it's subjective. I mean, that's the beauty in a 10 person committee. We're all coming at it from different perspectives. Um, we're all watching the same game, but see different things. And so it's, it's gonna be really um, meaningful discussion to have amongst the, the 10 of us next week. So Nina, when you are um, looking at these teams and building a bracket, uh, knowing that in those days before the tournament starts, um, there could be, and, and we got this news last week, you know, we hope this doesn't happen, but there had to be a plan B mm -hmm. of, you know, a potential backup team or teams uh, if a team from a multiple bid at large can't participate. Obviously, if it's an AQ from a one bid, they're going to have to replace that team. But the main thing was once it starts, it starts. Um, I thought it made sense. I'm just curious from both of your perspectives here, why once we start, we can't really be going back and throwing teams in and changing the bracket, uh, you know, as we go along. I mean, there's so many um, medical protocols kind of leading up to teams even getting to San Antonio and Indianapolis. And so if we were to kind of midstream and in the second weekend, try to throw a team um, into the mix, uh, they might not have been uh, following the testing requirements or they might not be prepared to, um, to, to jump in and, and um, really you know, make sure that they're following all of the standards. So I think it's really difficult um, once, we, once we hit go um, after selection Monday and, and begin the championship uh, later that week, it'll be really difficult to kind of switch things up and, and throw somebody in. So I too think the replacement policy makes sense, but I'm sure we have some, some folks with varying opinions. <laughs> Mitch? Well, you know, I think Nina hit it on the head. That's one piece. And the other piece is you just can't reseed and rebracket. I mean, that is a really difficult part to that equation as well. So you've got coaches that have scouted and prepared and, and getting their, their game plans in place for the competitive side of that. 
And, you know, there's, there's a rhythm and a cadence to all of the tournaments and you just can't just sit here and say, we're, we're drawing a, we're going to draw an arrow and go another direction that, that can't happen. So once we get started, um, we've got to, to, to keep going. And um, I think that the, the replacement policy was well thought through and both staffs on the men's women's basketball side worked really hard with the committees to come up with what gives us our best chance to start with the full field and get to a championship. Mitch, uh, you know, I know it's not going to be a true S curve because of conference affiliation, but not having to deal with the geographic, um, you know, aspect of, of being closer to a certain city for a certain round. I don't know if easy is the right word, but how much will that alleviate at least that, um, you know, curveball, for lack of a better word, of dealing with building a bracket? Well, I mean, certainly it changes having everybody in one site changes a lot of things and allows you to have those conversations. When we did the reveal, the first thing everyone said was, gosh, darn, that's not a, a normal S curve. That didn't look right. Okay, well, newsflash, that's probably what's going to happen in real time, you know, and and um, so we're going to work our way through that. But, um, you know, I think that we'll do the best we can in terms of, of what would be a normal S curve. Understand there's protocols and there's principles in place we have to follow. And then, uh, but not having the geographic high location to this tournament specifically, not meaning going forward, but for this, this dance, um, it will be, um, I think it'd be helpful to us. I think it'll give everybody a little bit of, hey, this is what it could look like and be like and in the future. And uh, that's, that's for other committee chairs to look at, right, Nina? <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, Nina, in the women's side, um, because of the campus sites, you know, there's been, there's been really like a big time upset and that's understandable. Um, and you do want to protect the top seeds, but I mean, if UConn's playing at home, um, you know, more than likely they're going to win those two games. Uh, how much do you think this potentially could create some interesting possible upsets if everyone's basically playing a neutral game from day one? Yeah, it's funny. I just said to somebody the other day, I love upsets, but not when I'm on the committee, <laughs> when we're trying to figure out how to, to select and seed these teams. But once we get to the tournament, once the bracket's done, it'll be, be fun to watch for the upset. Um, you know, it, everybody's in on a level playing field. We are neutral courts all the way for all 63 games. Um, you know, very um, few fans, um, you know, we're limited capacity. And so home court advantage for the first two rounds, at least what we had uh, in previous years will be eliminated. And so it'll be exciting to see kind of what happens and, and um, if there are any major upsets in the first couple of rounds. So I don't know if you guys can answer this yet, so forgive me, but um, in terms of who's gonna be at which venues, uh, I don't know if this has been decided yet in terms of seeds or what have you, but I'll start with you, Mitch. Um, how much is that gonna go into play of what teams or kinds of teams or seeds would play at Lucas Oil, at Banker's Life, at Hinkle, uh, Purdue, you name it. Uh, how is that going to work? Uh, I'm not sure I've got all the answers for that one just yet. Um, I, I think that we've got a, a, the staff has put together a really good plan. And obviously there's some, some pieces to this puzzle about who can play where based upon whose home court it is and those kind of things, just in case that comes into play. So we've thought about all of those, those pieces. Um, but obviously once we get past the first round, we're going to dial into a couple, two or three facilities. We'll get to a spot where it's a little more focused and there's a funnel there. So that'll take a lot of that out of play. Um, so I, I don't have that grid in front of me, Andy, but I, I, I think that, um, we should be, 
um, we'll be flexible and, and the staff has done a great job of getting us prepared. We'll have the right teams in the right spot, so to speak. How about in the women's side, Nina? Same. We, we haven't um, finalized those details yet in, in terms of location and, and we're the same. I mean, the first two rounds were in um, five locations and by regionals, we're all in the Alamo Dome. So um, it'll, it'll kind of funnel its way into to one place by second week. You know, the other thing too, Mitch, that we have not had ever before is playing games at the Final Four site before the Final Four. Um, what do you think that'll be like? I, I think it'll be interesting. You know, clearly it's a, it's something brand new. Um, you're going to have two courts in Lucas, Lucas Oil, and no game will be going on at the same time. So that'll be a little bit – that'll be helpful. Um, you will have um, a game going on and then separation, and then the other game will go on on the other side eventually. So, uh, you know, obviously that's a, that's a little bit of a change. Um, but um, at the end of the day, um, the, bringing everybody together in the one site, we want the opportunity to play. And if this gives us the best chance to play, then, then we're going to, we want to proceed down that pathway. And, and uh, I'm sure everyone will be great with that. And how will that work on the women's side, Nina? Same, same. Our uh, final four is obviously in the Alamo Dome with two courts as well. Um, and, and, you know, even though we're playing first and second round in regional games in the Alamo Dome, and then once we get to the final four, I still think it'll have that special championship weekend feel, that ooh and ah factor um, that we're going to crown a national championship at the end of all of this. So I don't think there's any, any concern that we're getting in there a little bit earlier than normal this year. And, and to both of you on the fan factor, the fact that there will be a smaller percentage, but there will be some, uh, whether, you know, not just family and friends, maybe frontline workers, but actually some fans. And I go back to last week and uh, North Carolina head coach Roy Williams, Mitch was saying just, I think they had 3000 at their game against Florida state. And he was just saying how much of a difference that made just a little bit of fans, you know, in large part, because they haven't had any, um, what kind of difference do you think it'll make to just have some noise that doesn't come from the players and coaches? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that everybody wants to be, it, this is an amazing event. You don't get this thing. Um, this is the, the pinnacle of college basketball, pinnacle of college sports is March Madness. And to have, have some fans in there to bring, bring some energy to it is really, really special. And uh, I think it's really good for the families to be able to watch their, their young people play. It's also really great for the game itself. And there's that ambient noise or whatever you call that is, is one thing to have people actually cheering and, and supporting and, and uh, being able to grab a little energy is, is really important. And so hopefully we'll be able to do that. And we're thankful that we're going to have, whether it's a 25% or just a, whatever the number is, uh, have them in the stands uh, to watch. Grateful that we won't have to listen to that ambient noise. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Nina, the fact that, this is going to happen. We kept saying this, but it's going to happen. Just for people that are watching, just put in perspective, overall, I mean, the truth here, what having the men's and women's basketball tournaments mean to college athletics, especially at the division one level overall, just, you know, I mean, people were laid off. They were furloughed. I mean, there are facts here um, that we need these events for everyone to, to, to have all these sports for all levels. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to, to make sure that we have this? 
I think first and foremost, it means everything to the student athletes. Um, while we were trying to figure out um, here on, on our campus on Duke this summer, how are we going to be able to play our 27 sports? Um, and, and all the work that it took into um, pulling that off, every time we talk to student athletes, the sentiment that they expressed is just gratitude appreciation and gratitude for being able to do what they love. There's not much else we can do these days. I mean, these student athletes go to classes um, and that's about it. And so being able to have this time to bond with their teammates, interact with their teammates and play the sport that they've trained all their lives for and love so much is, is just been so rewarding. So postseason is even more special, um, you know, getting to play the regular season, but then participating um, in the division one national championship is quite an experience. And so, you know, here we are. Um, I, I can't believe it. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, just kind of the roller coaster of emotions that we've all been through um, trying to figure out if we were going to get to this point, we're here. Um, and so the student athletes um, are, are really grateful that, that we've gotten them, they've gotten themselves, but with our assistance to this point. And so it's gonna be fun to pull it off. Mitch? I think a couple of things. One, Nina hit it on the head. This group never got a championship last year. They didn't get the chance. So to those that did not get the chance, I feel very badly about that, that they never got the opportunity to lace them up and play on the grandest of stages. Um, this group is wanting that, and they have desired that. And to have the opportunity to get them to this starting line is really, really great. Um, my staff, when, when we were talking about this spring uh, with all the sports that are participating this spring, we did the math. We've got 145 events, just Kentucky events on our campus this spring. And I thought, wow, that's really going to be tough on my staff. And, and it is, it's really difficult when you look at those numbers, but to a person, they're just appreciative of having the opportunity to be able to put those events on. And Nina talked about the student athletes, our student athletes, I get letters and notes all the time. just saying, Hey, thanks for giving us a chance to play. Thanks for giving us a chance to participate. And so I think we, we forget sometimes how important that is. They have a real limited window of opportunity to participate in the games that they love and to do the things that they've been given the, the skills to do. And so to, to be able to use that in this window, in this environment, on the grandest of stages is critically important. And then the, the trickle down in the, in the, of what it means to so many is, is very, very important. And uh, there's, that's not lost on anybody, but at the, at the pinnacle of that, of that thought is just what it means to these kids that were denied that opportunity last year to give them the chance this year. All right, last couple of things, both of you here. First, Anina, a um, uh, little bit on the spot here in terms of number one seeds, <laughs> not naming names here, but how many teams you think in the final week you think are in competition for a one seed? Yeah, on the spot. And, and I'm not in the prediction game. I mean, we still have two weeks of conference tournaments to play. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got great amount of teams in, in, um, in discussion for in the tournament in women's basketball, and there's no shortage of teams more than four that we're talking about for the one line. So I'll get, I'll leave it at that. All right, Mitch, we've got a wonderful first quadrant. I'm looking forward to looking at all of them. All right. Last thing on that. What's more difficult, <clears throat> selecting or seeding? Nina. 
they're the same and we don't it, you know it, it's an interesting once i i uh, joined the committee it, this was an eye-opening moment for me it wasn't we select 64 and then seed 64. we kind of do them both in chunks um select and then we okay we're we're to a point where we can seed a few lines and then oh well we need a few more teams to go in and let's and the, let's put some more in and then seed again so they're both the processes that kind of go together um and and one isn't really any any more difficult than the other just two very very different processes i would agree with nina i, I find it fascinating um if you ask people on the outside they go uh well seating you know the coaches go crazy over seating you know i, I can't live seated what they do you know and it's um the selection process is difficult um the seating process equally difficult i i think that in this year i think that that may be that may be really difficult um the seating um as you alluded to earlier andy with the uneven resumes and and the pauses and the inequity of the number of games and non-conference um, uh, games that went away off the off the grid. I think that the seeding will be difficult, and uh, but uh, that's what will make it exciting. And as with every committee that has ever been sat at the table, Nina's committee, my committee, I'm sure that we're going to be a hundred percent. Everybody's going to agree with us, and they're going to like it. And it's just going to be, gosh, this is this is awesome. And so, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm confident of that. And you'll be the first to tell us that, right, Andy? <laughs> yes, of course. All right, Nina, last thing, I just got to get this news item in here. Um, so within the last couple of days this week, uh, Texas lifted its mask mandate 100% open. But that's, you know, you could still put on a mask. Uh, these venues are still not controlled by the state. Uh, they're obviously private venues. Uh, and you're running an event in the state of Texas. so. What is, uh, and, the, uh, and I should add that the NIT is also going to be held in the Dallas metro area uh, on the men's side, uh, but what is the women's tournament going to do with this new lifting of restrictions and the no mask mandate um, in the state of Texas? I think first and foremost, I mean, we are still prioritizing health and safety of the student athletes um, and, and the programs and, and all of the, the folks that are coming to San Antonio to participate in the championship. So that's been mission number one from the beginning, and that doesn't change with, with these adjusted um, mandates in the state of Texas. Um, we're continuing to work with uh, the NCA Medical Advisory Group, Dr. Hainline and, and his folks, um, as well as the local health authorities. Um, we have been um, in, in concert with them, meeting with them since also uh, day one to, to um, get to San Antonio, um, and then also following CDC guidelines. And so working with, with those three groups will determine and the best um, health and safety protocols for our championship. And so clearly nothing has changed in how the women's basketball players and staff, you know, the protocols they will be under for this event. Correct. Okay. Uh, look, both of you, uh, I wish you nothing but a safe month. Uh, I will uh, see uh, Mitch in some form or fashion, maybe from afar, uh, but, uh, or virtually uh, as we're out on the road. But uh, more than anything, I think, all of us just holding a bracket in our hands uh, on the 14th and 15th will feel like we've got the Holy Grail. And finally, uh, it's gonna feel so good to just hold that bracket uh, for the men's and women's tournaments. And I know we're gonna have a safe tournament. It's gonna be unbelievable on uh, all the television partners that televise both events and crowning championships in the first couple of days of April. Mitch Barnhart, uh, the Men's Basketball Selection Committee Chair from Kentucky and Nina King, the Women's Basketball Committee Chair 
from Duke. I appreciate both of you. And as always, you can check out on ncaa.org slash social series for where all our social series are archived. You can check them all out from all the past year that we've been on. Stay safe, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.